Hey there, folks. Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. We're so glad that you continue to listen, continue to support the podcast. I know we say that every time. I mean it. I don't know how else to thank everybody. Please keep up the ratings and the reviews. You know, that's how iTunes markets podcasts, uh, and they do so. And the feedback from last week has been mostly positive. Darren Ravel, I thought, did a great job on the podcast, and uh, all the folks who are trolling him on Twitter ripped him for his appearance. I don't think that's going to happen uh, today. Our guest today is somebody that I've known for over a decade, um, but I saw something cool. Social media is really neat this way. Uh, I saw something cool. He's got like a new gig. He's same job, but a new uh, promotion. Uh, Rob Motti uh, covered for the Associated Press, the Philadelphia Phillies and the Philadelphia Eagles. I met him covering the Philadelphia Phillies back in the Charlie Manuel, Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley days. Uh, when they were really, really great. And he was always very kind uh, in the press box. Now, he also covered the NFL, and I never covered the Eagles. I think I've been to one Eagles game. And uh, now he put on social media that he is going to be the lead NFL writer. That's the whole league for the Associated Press. And I was like, wow, that's a cool story. And we try to do football in the offseason as much as we can. And so we welcome Rob Motti to the podcast First of all, congratulations. That was pretty cool. And what, what good is social media for if you can't talk about something <laughs> neat that happens in your career? Seth, you know, I resisted the urge. You know how everybody does personal news or whatever, yeah, a little yeah. bit of per I just did the, the little flashing, whatever it was, and, <laughs> and, and put it on there. So, yeah, it's it's been exciting. Uh, I covered my last Phillies game last July 4th. So I was promoted to NFL writer last all, last May, but it didn't take effect until the season. And we moved after spending my whole life in the Philly, South Jersey area. We moved to uh, Tampa, right outside Tampa, suburb oh. of Tampa for last football season. There's kind of a big deal quarterback who plays for the Buccaneers. I'm sure you've probably yeah. heard of him. His, his name is Tom Brady. Yeah. So uh, but last year, I still he's that I guy still, from Spygate and Deflategate, right? Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, that's that the guy. guy. So last year I still covered. I came came up north for five or six Eagles games, and it was okay. really neat. But now as the lead NFL writer, I I don't know if I'm going to get to an Eagles game unless it's a uh, NFC Championship or right. maybe a, a a big playoff game. So that's going to be kind of odd. But it's uh it's nice to be able to to be in this role and really look look over oversee everything and, and cover all the big news. Though I'll tell you what, the Sean Watson hearing last week was uh, driving me crazy. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I kind of want to do this in two parts. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, your gig and what it's like and how you pick stories and also the coverage of AP's work, because, you know, as newspapers are spending less and less, they're 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 running your content more and more. So, you know, you could get the fruits of, of that labor. And then I figured we could hit some some NFL topics as well. And um, like I said, we know each other from the old Phillies days, so we can tell Charlie Manuel stories or something. Um, the first things first, on a week-to-week -week basis, I'm sure it's not your sole decision, but do you have to plan your schedule out? Do you look at the schedule and say, okay, I want to be in Buffalo on week two, and I want to be in Green Bay week four? Like, Is that how it works, or do you figure out what the hot story is on Monday and you know, quickly go to, you You know, the airlines good fast. How does it work for a guy who's covering the entire league, but can only be in one place at one time? Yeah, that's interesting. Cause last year is kind of the one B NFL writer to Barry Wilner's one a 
Um, I, I, was in, I went to Philly because there was a need five times, and, and being close to the Buccaneers, I went to probably every one of there with the exception of one home games. I went to a Thursday night game. I went to uh, L.A. for a, a Thursday night game as well. One was in Miami. But it was really my decision week to week. So now, as I step into this new role, we're still laying out those uh, those plans, Seth. So I'm right. not too sure exactly how we're going to do that because there's, as you know, the AP, we have writers in every city. So we're covering every game regardless. And how do I make the best use of my time? So I'm writing a column on Sundays and uh, I have to figure out where I, where I want to be. And, and I would, I would imagine every Bucks home game, I'm going to go there and they're, they're, they're close it's, sure. uh, there's no airline involved. There's no hotels. I, and, and Tom Brady's there. But outside of that, that's something that I, I, I still have to determine. But uh, I do that. I, I like to go to Monday night and Thursday night games. And I'll tell you why. Because I prefer to be home Sunday. Because when you're writing about the whole league, I want to watch, watch Red Zone. You can. Yep. Yeah. I, I want to watch everything, right? I want to be on DirecTV. I want to see all the games. I don't want to be distracted. So I like to go to a Thursday night game. I like to go to a Monday night game. But We'll see how we plan that out over the course of the next couple of weeks. Well, it, it, and it's interesting to, to hear you say that because you're right. There is an AP writer at every game. So you're never doing game stories. I would imagine it's features, but it's features on the hot button issue. You know, if it's if it's a it's a guy return, you know, Russell Wilson returns to to Seattle. You know, you, you, you can be there and you can figure out what that is. So. I use the word feature because I don't have that better word, but it really is. You're just playing the hits. Like you're going to the hot button topic and that could differ from like, you can't plan that too far in advance because you don't know what that's going to be. If all of a sudden Russell Wilson's out, you don't need to go to Denver or Seattle to see one of his games. And I'm not rooting for that. I liked Russell. (laughs) No, and and you're exactly right. And what normally ends up happening when I'm at a game and um, we have the, we have our normal beat writer doing the game, or I'm doing like an analysis piece, right? I'm doing a column, a feature, something exactly as you're saying it's, it's where, and from week to week, you may not know you, we, we may, we can look at the schedule uh, a few, uh, months in advance. Like last year, we all knew that Tom Brady's return to Foxborough week four is going to be big news, right? So the guy who was in this spot, Barry Wilner, he went to that game. He, he was there Sunday night football week four, and, and he went, and along with the Boston writers, was able to, to do that. Now, I, I remember that week, I believe a- Andy Reid was back in Philly. That was still a big deal. I, I think sure. anytime Andy's back in Philly. So I was, I was at that game. So it, it does things like that where you're able to plan out. That certainly helps the budget. That's for sure, because now you're not making decisions uh, five days ahead of time, six days ahead of time. But as you know so well, sports changes like that. It's so quick on a dime. And, and guys can be out of the lineup. Guys can be in the lineup. Uh, what what team starts off hot? What player is at the peak at the top of his game in September may not be there necessarily towards the end of the season. Who knew that Joe Burrow and the Bengals would be a team that, forget about even getting to the Super Bowl, but would be a team that you wanted to be at their around. games in yeah, December. You, and yeah. you couldn't plan that stuff out in, in August or July for sure. There's um, there's something that I always wonder about the difference between covering a league versus uh, teams. Personally, 
you know, when I was working with baseball, um, I found a, a weird adjustment because when I covered the Seattle Mariners in the late nineties, um, I knew all those guys, they, they, they I, you know, I was in that clubhouse every day and they knew me and I knew them. You had that with both the Eagles and the Phillies. What is it like being the outsider and has COVID changed any of that because access being limited? Yeah, Seth, COVID's changed a lot. And I think now we're starting to get back to a little bit more of normalcy. And Are locker rooms open? Like some of the, several of the NFL teams open locker rooms for the OTAs, for mini camps, the mandatory mini camps. And we're still waiting, hoping, and trying to see what the rest of the teams are going to do. But I didn't hate the Zoom era of COVID <laughs> because it also allowed you to have, depending. Now, if you were on in a news conference and you got to go through the chat and raise your hand and all of that, and you only have one question, and that's different. But I was still able to set up, because I do the AP NFL podcast, a couple, I would do two or three one-on-ones each week mm. with different people across the league. So that enabled me to, through Zoom, have that interaction, build those relationships, establish that rapport. But as you know, FaceTime in person, in a clubhouse, in a locker room setting is essential to really getting to know guys, really allowing them to get to know you, maybe let their guard down a little bit, build some trust, build that relationship up. So I think that's hurt a lot of people over the past couple of years. And, and now that we're getting a little bit more back and closer to it, I, I think it's going to help. So as I step into uh, this new role, I, I've, had, I've had the taste of doing it in addition to the Philly duties for the past several years. So I was, I've been to maybe seven, eight, nine Super Bowls in a row, something like that. I must have, I think I missed one in there, been to league meetings. So I've been able to do that, establish relationships. But now it's about getting there uh, and getting to know the, the front office folks, getting to know the agents, really getting diving in and getting to know everybody. So some of that's built from uh, email, you start that way and, and you go from there. And, and if you can get an opportunity to sit down with somebody one-on-one -on -one in their office, that's great. But I think Zoom also affords us that opportunity like you and I are doing now where you can also do that. Um, the other aspect of relationships, and again, you know, I've known you a long time. Um, one of the things that I have uh, took great pride in in the beginning of my career was getting to know players. You know, I was the same age as them. Uh, I, I felt a kinship, you know, in, in, in radio, it was different than in print because I wasn't looking for anything from these guys, you know, if, unless they were coming on the show, I didn't need an interview, you know, per se and establishing trust. I mean, that was something that I, I, you did. Now we live in this clickbait world where social media dominates. And I would think that if you're the wide receiver of any NFL team, I don't want any punk kids coming near me because if I have something to say, I'll say it myself. Um, <laughs> what's your, what's your, what's your thought on that about how, if, if, if you were starting now, you would not be able to establish the relationships that I know you had because I saw you in the clubhouse and I knew how you interacted with guys. Yeah, and, and that's not a, inappropriate a, either. Like I would tell you, it's it's my podcast. We can say it if we was, <laughs> but but not in that case. No, and, and I appreciate that. And, and what I did in my early in my career was really get to know guys on a personal level, 
really get to interact with them off the field sometimes and, and what were their areas of interest. And, and I, I would go out a lot in my younger days and before I got married and settled down and, and really got to know guys off the field that way. Now, what you're saying with the uh, industry changing with how media has become so clickbaitish, I if if I were a player, if I were a manager, a coach, anyone, I would always I would really be reluctant to get close to anyone because you never know what their agenda is. And it drives me crazy sometimes because I will be in a news conference or I will be in back pre-COVID in the locker room, in the clubhouse, and you can hear the intent behind a comment from a player or so. And then you see it interpreted 13 different ways. Uh, and, and the clickbaitish headline is put up. And, and that's not what the guy meant, but there's, there's lack of accountability, Seth. And, and there's a lot of people in the industry who I, I think maybe take shortcuts and, and they, they care about their bottom line more than they care about making sure it's accurate, 100% factual. And, and I'll, I'll go even this far, Seth. It's unfortunate, but there are teams and there are general managers in this industry, in the NFL, who know they are masters at manipulating the media. And they know who they can count on to push their narrative, whether it's false or hurtful to their player or not. And there are some folks out there with huge social media followings who are more on information broker uh, type relationships than they are journalists or reporters. And if a GM tells them something, or if an agent gives them that piece of information, they're copying it, they're pasting it on their social media without double checking. And, right. and it, it's sad, well, it's unfortunate. They'll tweet, they'll tweet first. Tweet, tweet first, tweet first and ask questions if they even ask questions. And, and we've seen some guys get burnt a little bit. So I, my, my, my advice to anyone reading something on Twitter is uh, don't necessarily believe it immediately because there could be an agenda attached to it. And often there is. If a GM or an agent is willingly giving someone their side of the story, why are they pushing that out there? And, and you always got to ask questions and be skeptical. So it's changed. Our industry has changed. And, and, and I'll be honest, sometimes I, I feel like I, I really don't like where it's headed. And I just try and do my part. Well, I, I want to treat everyone fairly. I want to be respectful of everyone. But most importantly, being first isn't as important as being correct. And it's got to be about getting the story right, getting the information right and accurate, not about being first and getting all those uh, retweets and shares and likes and clicks. We'd like to welcome a new sponsor to Sports with Friends, the guys at Snap Supplements, Nitric Oxide, Organic Beats. You know, everybody knows getting old sucks. Yes, it beats the alternative, but everything now hurts. Everything is harder. Your body's just not functioning the way it was before. Everything just gets a little bit harder to do. Well, that's because the body naturally produces less nitric oxide as we age. 
while the risks for high blood pressure and heart disease increase. It's the natural style of life. That's where Snap Supplements Nitric Oxide Organic Beets comes in. It supports healthy heart function, promotes healthy blood flow and circulation with natural ingredients. It takes the best part of whole organic beets, the amino acids, and the vitamins without any of the mess that comes from cooking with them. Have you ever gotten a red beetroot stain? You can't get it out. It'll go on your hands. It'll be there for weeks. I've been trying these nitric oxide organic beets, and I've got to tell you, so far I feel better. Got a little bit of a zip in my step. Snap Supplements is offering listeners of Sports with Friends a 10% discount on their first purchase by using the link gobeats.com slash sports10. That's G-O-B-E-E-T-S dot com slash sports10. Try it out. Your body will thank you. To the newspaper industry, uh, you're, a, you're an old school newspaper guy. Um, I can't tell you the last time I picked up a newspaper. Um, I read them, I mean, religiously. Uh, I mean, I read them all, all, all the darn time. Um, but I read them online. I read them on my phone. I read them on my iPad or whatever device uh, that we have. What has taken place because sales has not been able to sell uh, digital journalism like they sold print journalism, uh, there's been a lot of downside. And some newspapers haven't made it. Some newspapers have just gutted their, their, their newsrooms. It's happened. The interesting part about it, and one of the things you'll see on social media a lot, is when a local paper won't cover their local team because they'll run the AP story. Mm. And that's not to meant to be derogatory, but it, it, it sucks. I mean, that happens in big markets. It happens in small markets. It's, it's not a... They're, they're, this downsizing knows no bias. You know, they're not traveling. Different. Yeah, they're not traveling yeah. like they used to. And so that happens. Now, there's someone who gets the benefit of that. Is an AP writer getting the benefit of that? Is this a golden time to be an AP writer? Because the coverage of whether it's a guy like yourself or it's a guy who cover guy or girl uh, who covers, you know, the Tampa Bay lightning. Uh, are they being read more because newspapers are spending less on their own reporters? It's a great question. And Seth, honestly, I've never looked at it in those terms because we've never, we don't really keep as, as writers, we don't really keep track of where our stories appear because we know the AP's got worldwide reach, um, 15,000 plus members, half the world's population reads the AP on a daily basis. So you know, occasionally somebody will send me something. Hey, you were in the Times or in New York Times, or uh, you were in this Japanese paper, or, or we read you in the Washington Post, or whatever it may be. Whatever it is, right? Yeah, but I I never have kept track of that. Now I will say it's it's cool in a sense that yeah, we're getting some of our our stories and articles are going to be featured maybe in or used in newspapers that ordinarily they wouldn't have made it if it's a, if it's the standard 10 years, average 10 years ago, story, 10 years right? ago, they wouldn't. Yeah. Have. You know, I, I remember the first time Stephen A. Smith and I were covering a Sixers game way right. back. I mean, back at Washington wizards were in town in Philly. Michael Jordan was on the wizards. That's how far oh, back okay. it goes. 
Sure. And, and that was the first time the Philadelphia Inquirer used my game story. I don't know. It was a deadline thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I obviously got it in quickly. But I remember that. I remember going, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. I'm in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Sure. I would imagine now what you're saying, it's going to happen more often when certain papers aren't traveling their beat writers. And I think that happened a lot too during COVID, a lot of, but also oh, during sure. COVID, they were covering th through Zoom, post game and everything yeah, yeah. else. So um, it, it's unfortunate the way newspapers have changed. You know, you said you're a newspaper, you know, guy growing up. And for me, that was- I read the them, same. I didn't write in them. <laughs> yeah. As as a kid, like my face was in the agates that I was reading, but baseball box mm -hmm. like I grew up always reading baseball box scores. That was that grid. was the first thing I went to. I love the grid of what what channel and what uh you know like it was dark colored dark for home games and light for for road games. Mm -hmm. You had all your teams, and I was in North Jersey, so he would see the Jets, the Giants, the Mets, the Yankees, the Knicks, the Rangers, the Nets, the Devils, all of them in this big box, in this big grid. And I always thought that was the coolest thing. I was like, on Wednesday night, there's only one NBA game. Like I, I that that's at what I remember <laughs> from uh, from newspapers. Um, I would just think that the AP standards can't drop, but other places their standards are dropping. I mean, it 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 just it just seems to be a reality. And, you know, what's cheaper, you know, for a, for a newspaper in Minneapolis to have an NFL writer, probably not. And so they can run your column mm -hmm. and there's, it, it's missing something. It's not that yours not doing the journalism. It's just, there's a disconnect between the home market and the hometown reporter. And you, I thought were great to ask this to because You've done both. You know what I'm saying? You've you've yeah. done both. You were that local guy and now you're a national guy. Yeah. And and as that local guy, I would try and get as close to the team. So I'm given the fan, the reader, the listener, whoever it may yeah. be, as, as deep insight and analysis as the the inquire and the daily news beat writers who are going there on the road because you do lose a little bit when you're not on the road with these guys. I always felt like that's a disadvantage for the AP writers. But now from seeing how it's kind of evolved and how it's changed, uh, I, I think it's difficult times. And I know I know there, there are so many great, terrific, outstanding beat writers and reporters who continue and find and, and work around whatever cards they're dealt. And they're able to put the best quality out there. But man, I think back uh, of reading, I would have the daily news and the Inquirer in, in high school class with me. Seth, I'll never forget my English teacher, senior year or junior year in high school uh, says to me, Rob, you're, you're, you're going to have to stop writing only about sports every time we do uh, any kind of creative writing or, or any kind of assignment because there's more to life than sports. You're not going to make a living that way. And I'd have my inquire, my daily news right underneath my textbooks and everything else. And 
man, I made it my career. I made it my living. And I understood what he was trying to get across. Sure. You have to be a little bit more well-rounded, but reading the Paul Hagans, the Jason Starks and oh, Hockman, the great Paul Hagan. Oh, oh man. And then, and then Seth as for hanging like a out five in or... Clearwater at Frenchies with Paul Hagan. Oh, that was for... my twenties. <laughs> that, that was, that was like, he's, he's a legend. Yeah. And for about a five or six year period, I think I was the uh, Philadelphia baseball writers um, chapter chairman. Mm. And was able to nominate, you know, as a as a chair, as the sure. chairperson, and and then as the entire chapter, we nominated Paul for the Writers Wing of the Hall of Fame. Then we nominated Jason, uh, and he they both sure. got in. So Jason's to think like I was reading yeah. their stuff in high school, sure, and and then played some kind of small tiny role in being part of nominating them to make that was was all. I look back on that and reflect and go, man, that's that's pretty amazing. That's you're absolutely right. Um, all right, let's go to the to the to the games themselves in the in the time we have. Um, I, I know you you brought up Deshaun Watson before. I want to hold <laughs> off on that. Um, what do you think the reaction will be to the Amazon Prime Thursday night football game? Is it going to be positive? Will people just embrace the future? Or is there going to be like, you know, I have that my stereotypical 63 year old plumber who, uh, you know, gets home after a long day. And the last thing he wants to do is download an app and figure out how to watch, you know, his 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 team, whatever, whatever his team happens to be. Um, this is a bold move for the NFL. The NFL dwarfs the other sports in terms of coverage. Thursday night football had been growing in popularity as the games got better. Uh, last couple of seasons, they've had better matchups and, and, yeah. and that, and that's helped, um, you know, big fancy broadcast crew. Look, I've, I, I'm a cord cutter. I've been a cord cutter for six, seven years now. Um, it, you know, if, whether I hit one app or another, I don't care as long as I get the game. What's your thought on the country and whether or not it will embrace prime amazon prime app to watch thursday night football well i think initially you're going to have a lot of negative feedback because you have a segment of your fan base that may not be tech savvy that is not going to want to look for a game on an app and seth you know this it's easier to complain than to praise and people are going to be quick to complain and and that happens just about with anything and it's going to be hard to tell that 65-year-old football fan, hey, go, go find this game on an app. But I'll give you a different perspective, too, because I had this conversation recently talking to a sports bar owner who yeah, was that. interested in, I may potentially do a, some type of radio show at his establishment. And when we were discussing Monday night versus Thursday night, he said, I know if I had you in here Monday night that how we're going to be able to access the game. This is a sports bar owner great point. who has yet to figure out how he's going to be able to access Amazon Prime for the entire restaurant, for the entire sports bar, because if they're going to be charged the way they are charged, and I had no idea how this works, DirecTV, sure. it's, it's per how many patrons can be in there. And he's like, it's astronomical, Rob. And he was asking me questions. Can you get me yep. answers uh, of how we're going to be able to show this? And I think you're going to have some backlash from from those that industry, those people who may not be able to afford 
whatever that cost is going to be to be able to open up their place and show that football game on a Thursday night. Completely uh, hear you take that one step further. Uh, the NFL Sunday ticket, which is up at the end of next season. Um, there's going to have to be a provisional version of it. You could charge a thousand dollars. I don't know what the cost is going to be, but direct TV is not going to, they may lose their exclusivity on Sunday ticket, but I think, I think they keep it in a, there's going to be a professional version because there's a huge chunk of this country. The infrastructure is such they don't have high speed internet. And I'll give you one town just as an example. It's not a, uh, a financial situation. Boca Raton, Florida is a ritzy, fancy, schmancy oh, yeah. area. Their internet is awful. And if you were a bar owner in Boca Raton, Florida, you can't have Apple TV get direct TV as an exclusive partner because you can't stream all those games. You won't have the bandwidth and there's nothing you can do about it. This is not the it's it's not the sixty three year old plumber, it's mm-hmm. the it's the, the 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 physical capability won't exist. So when they people say Directv is going to lose Sunday Ticket, I do think they lose Sunday Ticket. There's going to have to be a provision where you can call Directv and say, "I'm a sports bar. Here's my license. Whatever whatever it is, whatever the rule is, and I get Sunday Ticket the way it was." and keep that for at least a decade, at least until we can figure out that kind of kind of stuff and get gas prices to to go down. But just this idea that um, tech that that's why I think the Thursday night football thing is so interesting because I want to see how this works. People are not going to say, nah, I'll go watch something else. Like there are people gamble on this. The football is their life. The Thursday night, the the Sunday night, and the Monday night games are on in that person's household, no matter who's playing. Oh, it's the NFL. People are going to watch. They're going to find a way to watch. They may complain about how they have to go about it, but you bring up an excellent point when you're talking about internet connection and internet services, and you're in some of these areas where... for whatever reason, cell tower issues. I, I don't know what it is. Like I, I'm, I'm new in the Tampa area. And sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm saying to myself, Hey, why is my internet spotty here? It's not, it's, there's a ton of people and this is a high, big traffic area. And, and I got some spotty internet co- coverage and I'm complaining about that. So yeah, that's, it's going to be very interesting to see how this Thursday night football plays out leading into exactly what you're saying with the direct TV deal coming up. Yeah. It's going to be uh, really fascinating uh, as, as we go on. Okay. I tried to go on a, on a positive note to uh, Sean Watson. Uh, what he did is reprehensible and, you know, they could throw the book at this guy. What I, what I laugh at is how the Browns didn't see this coming. Um, how did they think that this was all behind him? You know, if if Ray Rice taught you anything, there's always the investigation and then the real investigation. Um, they could get screwed. And, you know, Baker Mayfield had all this this opportunity, you know, these opportunities with other teams, and they're gonna have to keep him because there's a really good chance that he's their quarterback for this season and possibly longer. Um, what have you been covering? What have you been talking about? What's your insight on this? 
I'll start with Baker real quick. I don't know how they can mend that fence. I don't know how they can re- that repair that relationship. Well, they stuck their middle finger up to him. They said, yeah. like, what, regardless of your success, we have a chance to get this guy who, who's a bona fide scumbag. And I, yeah, I, I don't know how they, they'll be able to do that. But I, I think what the Browns are banking on and what I think will happen is he's going to be a, allowed to be on the field at some point this year. I, I do think when all is said and done with this hearing and first uh, we're going to have to get the, the discipline come down from the, the judge, the retired judge, Sue Robinson. She makes the first call, the first decision. However, keep in mind up until she renders that decision at any point, the two sides could come to a settlement. Now, there's no indication at this point. I've spoken to both sides, and they're so far apart with the NFL insisting on an indefinite suspension of at least one year, and Deshaun's side saying and arguing that they don't want any suspension. However, Seth, I did report last week that a person close to Watson's defense team said, hey, our goal is to get him on the field this year. And, And what that means is, uh, if it's a six game, if it's an eight game, if it's a four game, they, they would take all of those, I believe, as victories. It's a matter of the NFL coming off their public stance. Publicly, they have to act tough. They have to be tough. But will they eventually, if Sue Robinson comes back at six to eight, at 10, at nine, at whatever number, if they want to appeal, this process becomes uh, all for naught because if they want to appeal, now it goes to Roger Goodell and he could, or someone he designates, and they could give Deshaun Watson an indefinite suspension of one year. So they could still do that if they wanted to. But that's where the big question mark lies because I, I feel that the NFL and from a lot of the people I spoke to, they don't want it to go down that road. This is a collectively bargained area where discipline disciplinary officer is going to make the decision and they would rather not have it go to appeal now it's back in Goodell's hands and he's got to make the ultimate and final decision so we're going to get something to come down before training camp we don't know at this point they have to submit their post-hearing briefs by the week of July 11 and then after that she could take three days. She could take 10 days. We don't know what her timeline is to make that decision. Do you think that ultimately um, the NFL is, is, is it, does the NFL look at discipline in a way that ha, have things changed? Has enough happened uh, in the, in the league, a uh, reference Ray Rice that, that 10 years later, has this league gotten better at this? There used to be a time when the offseason in the NFL wasn't interesting. It was all police blotter stuff. <laughs> and now, you know, the NFL's done a really good job of making um, everything an event, you know, free agency and trades and mini camps and workouts. And I mean, they do a television show to announce a schedule, a, 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 a schedule. Um <laughs> What do you think the NFL recognizes its place? And do the, you know, I see the way the, the baseball, you know, hemmed and hawed when it came to Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Right. But Trevor Bauer never thought that he was going to pitch last year. You know, no one gave him a hint that that indefinite suspension was, you know, was, was, was going to be anything less than a year. 
he's coming up on two years that he's been suspended already. Again, apples, it's not apples to apples. Um, do you think the NFL is in a different place now than let's say maybe when you started covering the league? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Uh, a quote from a league official that I've used during this Deshaun Watson uh, saga is we have learned our lesson and they have, they have learned their lesson. They're very well aware of public perception. They were reactionary in the past. They reacted to public perception when it came down to Ray Rice, because initially it was two, it was two games. And then there was outrage when the video became available and we people saw the video and then all of a sudden it became indefinite suspension, which by the way was overturned, but he never played again. So they have attempted to try and fix this and get it right. But now they've put themselves and, and they've collectively bargained with the union in a position where the union didn't want Roger Goodell making these decisions for violations of the personnel personal conduct policy. So they said, all right, we won't make these decisions. We will have a jointly appointed disciplinary officer, but the NFL still holds all the power. They still have all the authority. So it's going to be a real test for the league. If they, if it first goes to, and there's no settlement and it goes to Sue Robinson, it's going to be a real test when she could, there's some people I've, I've seen who believe for some reason that there may not be any discipline. And I can tell you from talking oh, to Deshaun Watson's side yeah, and some of the things shocked. that I reported and some of the, the, the conversations I've had, they believe there's going to be discipline. I don't wow. see, I don't think they feel in any way, shape, or form that there won't be any discipline. Their objective is to minimize it and get him on the field this year. And the NFL's playing a public battle of trying to be as tough as they can. Because, Seth, how can you be so supportive of women in so many different roles now in the NFL as coaches, uh, women in front office, women as potential GMs and everything else, and then have any appearance of not being publicly strong, stiff, severe against any kinds of abuse, domestic violence or any sexual assault against women. They have to be that way, but ultimately, if she comes back with any kind of decision that's not indefinite or one year, will they appeal? Hmm. Um, were you surprised the Denver Broncos went for another guy in the tail end of his career? Again, it's not apples to apples compared to Peyton Manning, but it's kind of amazing how uh, in this post John Elway era, what it really excites Bronco fans is their ability to get a guy whose best years are probably behind him. Um, Russell Wilson was going to resurface somewhere. Are you surprised it was Denver and in that tight, tight division where there's Kansas city and uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, whatever they're called. Uh, now, what's your thought on how much of an impact he can actually have? I think the only way that the Denver Broncos can compete in a division where you have Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas city chiefs, uh, Justin Herbert and, and the LA chargers, and even Derek Carr and what they've been able to do in Vegas and adding Devontae Adams, the only way Denver could compete was to go out there and get a marquee elite franchise quarterback like Russell Wilson. And they have pieces surrounding him. They have pieces on offense. They have some pieces and some weapons at the skill positions to where he can step in. I don't anticipate in any 
in any way that this is going to be third straight year a quarterback goes to a new team and leads his team to a Super Bowl like Brady did with the Buccaneers and Matthew Stafford did with the Rams. But I think the Broncos now can be competitive enough, but only for a playoff berth. They're not a Super Bowl contender, and they're in, a, they're in the toughest division in the NFL. And what they did was put themselves in the conversation to actually just compete enough to be a playoff contender. Now, they still need work. They still need more pieces on the offense. They need more help defensively. Russell Wilson told me last, uh, last year during the season and again after the season at the Super Bowl that he wants to play 10 more years. It, guys, now, Seth, look at Tom Brady and what he's been able to do, the TB12 method and playing deep into uh, he's in his mid-40s and, and being so he's, – he's still a star. He had his best season statistically maybe of his career at age – 44 guys see that like Russell Wilson and, and they want to push 40. So I think he's got several years ahead of him. He may not be uh, as great as he was three, four, five years ago, but with the right pieces, with the weapons around him, I think uh, this was a, a great move for the Denver Broncos. And, and Russell's got all those intangibles. He's a winner. He's a leader. He's high character guy. He's a guy guys gravitate to rally around. He checks off all those boxes and, it's just a matter of getting him in there, uh, getting all those players around him. And I think they can go win in a couple of years. But right now in that division, it wouldn't surprise me if they're hovering right around 500. Um, you brought up Russell Wilson. I've talked about this on the podcast before. I have a very small sample size. I covered him during Super Bowl 48 when it was in New Jersey. Uh he just comes off as a little too perfect. Um, and it comes off to me as phony. Uh, somebody asked me, you know, the, friends of mine in Seattle, and I used to, you know, cover the Seahawks. So I, I know still some people there, mostly media people. And, you know, they asked me, and my, my take on Russell Wilson was that he, you know, he, he's less like Jeter. He's more like A-Rod, um, just in the way he talked, um, like, of course, he's going to say he wants to play 10 more years. Like, he can't just be a normal guy and say, I'd like to play as long as I can, as long as I'm effective. Like, it just, yeah, 10 more years. Of course, it's 10 more years. He just seems like that kind of guy. You deal with him on a much bigger level. So I'm going to have an open mind because what I don't like is it's not enough of a sample size to really, you know, to evaluate the guy because, you know, I, I saw him at a bunch of press conferences. That was it. Um, what's your thought on Russell Wilson? I can see where with Russ, people believe that he is, as you said, too perfect. He knows exactly what to say and when to say it, right? Um, and we've seen guys who, who can play the media well, uh, play the fan game very well. Uh, you look at a guy in Philly with Bryce Harper, he's fit in so nicely and he's been able to really ingratiate himself with fans, whether it's fanatic cleats or whatever it may be. I think Russell's more comparable to that in that he knows exact, he knows how to not put his foot in his mouth. Now that can be misinterpreted, I believe as disingenuous, having gotten to know him a little bit and talking to some of the people who are really close to him he, he's just, he's kind of a, who, who was it? There was someone, I don't know if it was in the entertainment industry 
or someone in sports who, who kind of was like referring to him as a square, as kind of a geek, as a nerd, he may have a little bit of that in him, right? And, and that may come across as awkwardness, clumsiness, but, but I think he's a, he's a, a sincere guy and, and I give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I got to, uh, he got the Bart Starr Award right before the day before the Super Bowl. And he gave a really passionate speech. And, and I thought just seeing him in that environment, seeing him in that setting, um, he, he, let, he, he, let it, he let his guard down a little bit and, and he had some fun with it. And, and he was really uh, a guy who, who I, I think has his heart in the right place. And to me, that's important. That's, that, that, that's great. Um, last, uh, last football topic. And then I want to talk about your book and, 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 and let you go on your way. I really appreciate your time. Um, Nick Foles, uh, you know, with the acquisition of Matt Ryan, you kind of think that Nick Foles is going to get unhappy again, and he's going to move to another place. And, you know, he, he, he's good enough to get wanted by other teams, but he doesn't stick with any teams. Uh, yet he has a unique place in Philadelphia lore. Uh, as the guy who won the Super Bowl, um, what is the legacy of Nick Foles? And Philly legend forever. Nick Foles to me deserved that statue that he got because he did the impossible. He led the Philadelphia Eagles to a Super Bowl, the elusive Super Bowl title, the Vince Lombardi that they've never hoisted and did it by beating Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots. And everything I just said to you about Russell Wilson, uh, I say about Nick and without any question of sincerity or how genuine he is. Nick Foles is a guy who is probably one of the best people, human beings that I've ever met in sports in 23 years at the AP. Just one of those guys who knows how to make everyone around him feel important. That's why players loved him. They loved being in the huddle because he knew how to make everyone feel like they were the most important person in the room and just, he, he was so humble always when he was a rookie to when he had that 29 and two season, cause I count the two touchdowns that he threw in the playoff game that they lost to being a pro bowl MVP to being a super bowl MVP. Same guy, never changed, always, always humble. And, and he, he's someone who I think Philly will always revere. I'll give you a really quick story, Seth, sure. about Nick Foles. I told you before, I'm not tech savvy. So this may have been seven, eight, it was his rookie season. It was the okay. rookie season. And I was doing some sort of show podcast. I forget what it was. And I just wanted him to do a one line or, Hey, this is Nick Foles. You're listening to whatever. Okay. So he does it. Uh, I didn't hit the correct button. It didn't record. I walk away and I'm like, ah, shoot. He, he overhears me just have that reaction. He's like, what happened? I'm like, I didn't record. He's like, I'll do it again. I'm like, all right, Nick, I come over. He does it again. Let me tell you, I didn't hit the button again the right way. The second time <laughs> or the third time, he ended up doing it four times. He didn't care. He volunteered to keep doing it. He's like, do you have what you need? I'm like, I got what I need. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, tell me about the book Birds of Prey. Uh, it's not P-R-E-Y, it's P-R-A-Y. And uh, I was I was taken aback when you when you wrote it. Um, it was not something you and I had ever discussed before. Tell me about the thought process. Whose idea was it? How did it come about? And what did you learn? Yeah, Seth. So 10 years into, you know, you and I probably I knew you back covering the Phillies in the Charlie Manuel era when uh, I was at a different stage of my life. And 
I was, as I said earlier, more of a, a party, go out, hang out with the players. And then there was a point in my life where um, my faith, my Christian faith became so important to me. And it kind of changed who I was and what I was as a person. And I went from gravitating to the guys in the bars and the clubs to gravitating to the players in the locker room who are, are talking about their faith and, and talking about what that's meant to them. And that's when I launched a show called Faith on the Field on 610 ESPN Philly back in 2017. We've now grown to nine markets, different sports stations across the country. But it just so happened I launched that show in 2017. I have a whole bunch of Eagles players who are on that show. They're a very close uh, How did you know they players. were religious? Huh? How did you know they were religious? <laughs> that, that was from just getting to know some of the guys in conversations. Some of the guys, it was just Seth, I'll be honest, just seeing them, their posts, seeing their posts on social media and talking to them about it. And then I, I end up getting to know one of their pastors, uh, going to the same church, uh, coincidentally. And, and it was just a group of players when they're telling me about baptizing guys in, in the, in the, at the team facility, in the cold tub. It was, it was an incredible story, but that happened for them in 16, not 17. That's when it started. That was the genesis of it all. And it really bore its fruit in 17. And then, it, you know, Carson Wentz at the time, Zach Ertz, Trey Burton, Chris Maragos, Jordan Hicks, just a list of players who are all this close fraternity uh, of men of faith. And then they go out and bring in Nick Foles, who fits that description. And uh, it, it, it was just perfect. So when they won the Super Bowl, I was kicking around some ideas. Hey, I could do a book. I could do this. I could do that. Uh, reached out to my literary agent and, and he was like, you have these unique relationships with some of these guys. You know them from that perspective. What do you think of this? And I was like, I'm sold. I'm all for it. And as it turned out, you know, Nick wrote a book. Doug Peterson wrote a book. Uh, uh, there was another book written about the Eagles. And then mine is from a whole different perspective. So it worked out very well, and I was able to tell that story of what really made this team truly special and, and one of a kind. Carson Wentz wrote the forward, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a great recap of uh, the, that Super Bowl uh, victory. Uh, last thing, we, open, we end the show with social media. Uh, we've been able to stay in touch. I mean, I know what goes on in your life because of social media. I mean, we, we would have lost touch uh, in, in normal, normal ways. Uh, how do you feel about it? Uh, does the AP encourage that? You know, we talked about it being a pitfall for covering sports, but you have these articles, you work really hard on them, share them. Like what, what, what's, what's your, what's your rules on social media and how can people find you? Social media. First of all, I'm on uh, at Twitter at Rob Maddie, M-A-A-D-D-I. I feel like there are so many benefits to it, like staying in touch with folks like yourself and others, and just being able to share the good uh, about, what's going on in your life. I think that's the positive. I think, uh, especially with Twitter, more so than any of the others, there's a lot of evil side. There's a lot of uh, keyboard warriors. There's a lot of people who say things to you on social media that they won't say to you uh, in person and they're hiding behind fake avatars and all that stuff. And I think people can get caught up in that, Seth. I've had conversations with so many players from the mental health aspect of it. And, and I'll be honest, there was a, a time where some of the things that I would read and pay attention to would uh, weigh on me heavily. And I got to the point where um, I, I try and treat social media as get on, share some information, share your story, 
say something and get off and, and don't sit there and, and read the comments and don't read everything else. And I personally like to use social media to inspire, to motivate, to encourage, to bring out the positive. And, and, and I, I'm not going to be combative. I'm not going to fight someone. I'm not going to tell a troll uh, you're a jerk or anything like that. I'm going to be nice even to the trolls because there have been stories along the way where sometimes I've reached out to a troll and, and they've appreciated the way I responded and, and it's had an impact on them. So that's how I view it. That's how I treat it. But man, it could be such a dangerous, dangerous uh, thing for people's mental health if they get caught up in it. No, it, it totally can. It can be. How can people find you online? Just go to uh, Twitter at Rob Motti. Same with uh, I do have a Facebook page that I don't use like I really should. Uh, and, and that's <laughs> out there and at real Rob Motti on Instagram as well. So as we put a bow on this uh, podcast, all I can say is if there's anything that you heard from Rob that you have an issue with or uh, anything that you disagreed with, do me a favor, reach out to Rob directly and leave me the hell out of it. <laughs> Beautifully Rob, said, Seth. Beautiful. Con congrats on the new gig, man. Uh, I look forward to reading your stuff during the football season. Uh, we could do a whole episode just talking about Charlie Manuel and Jimmy Rollins, oh, yeah. Chase Upley in those days, uh, Shane Victorino, uh, Ryan Howard, Cole Hamels, just a bunch of great human beings uh, and a lot of fun uh, to, to be a part of. Thank you so much for doing this and uh, continued success to you, sir. Seth, absolutely appreciate you having me. And uh, when Baseball Hall of Fame vote comes up again, maybe we'll spend some time talking about that unless they kick yeah. me off from the voting board. Yeah, that's right. You have a you have a Hall of Fame vote, even though you haven't covered baseball in two years. Uh, it just continues to baffle me on how that that process goes uh, goes around. Um, that is uh, Rob Motti uh, from the AP, right here on Sports with Friends. Don't forget, each and every Wednesday, uh, we have uh, a, a, another episode that comes out. Uh, don't forget, we have a lot of things that we'll be covering in the next couple of weeks. Uh, including a Formula E race, where as they come back uh, to the United States, we've got a couple of great uh, drivers uh, that we have lined up uh, for the podcast. I don't want to reveal it too much because they're not confirmed, but as soon as I get them, you will hear from them right here on the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to Stay, I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Count my days, I'm gone. Forget reaching me by phone. Because I promise I'll be gone for a while. When you see me again, I hope that you have been the kind of person. Thank you.